Welcome back to episode 53 of the Run Culture Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure to talk to Jay Dishery. Jay Dishery is a US physical therapist and world-renowned researcher specializing in running biomechanics. He was the director of the Speed Clinic at the University of Virginia and now is the director of the Rep Biomechanics Lab in Bent, Oregon. Jay consults for a variety of footwear companies and many US Olympic track and field athletes. Jay, as you can see in this interview and podcast, has a passion for solving injury problems and optimizing performance. Today, I hammer Jay with many questions about running biomechanics, what's important and what's not. Jay is also a big advocate for preparing our bodies to run. He talks about this in great detail in the podcast and in his two books, Running Rewired and Anatomy for Runners. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here he is, Jay Dishery. Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to the Run Culture podcast. Today, I have the privilege and honor to be talking to Jay Dishery uh, from the US. He's a physical therapist, worldwide renowned researcher specializing in running biomechanics. He's written two really popular running books, Running Rewired, Anatomy for Runners. Uh, he's also got a website called anathletesbody.com. Uh, he's the maker of the Mobo board and He's also um, helped uh, Sacconi with a running app. Uh, he lives in Bent, Oregon, and uh, is the director of Rep Biomechanics, uh, and he was the director of the Speed Clinic at the University of Virginia. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Jay. Thanks for having me, Dane. Great to be here. Yeah, Jay. Um, I just wanted to start out with um, uh, a question, because I've listened to a few podcasts that you've been on. Uh, uh, with that question, are we born to run? How would you answer that? Uh, I'd, say, <laughs> I'd say we're adapted to our environment, uh, not necessarily born to run. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a great question, Dane. It's like, yeah, I think that we're creatures of habit, right? And uh, we have certain bodies which are you know, obviously bipedal and able to do various things. But, uh, you know, what we do kind of uh, dictates the stresses in our body and dictates what we as individuals and athletes tend to become. And if we lead a very sedentary lifestyle, uh, you are on your way to becoming very uh, fragile, right? And if you, uh, you know, if you deal with a very active lifestyle with lots of variability and lots of different um, scenarios and you, you know, you're adapted to various stresses and you can deal with the stresses of running for locomotion and transport and hunting and gathering everything else. So yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, yeah, and I heard you um, liken it because uh, a lot of people are like, oh, why, do, why do we often get injured? Like, why do we get injured as runners? And I like, it, I, I like the example that you had when you likened um, people going to a CrossFit gym and then, you know, um, they wouldn't just suddenly lift uh, 
uh, I don't know, 200 kilos um, for, a, for a squat. Um, but then with running, we often just, um, just launch straight into it. Um, yeah, we, we've, we've um, do you reckon that's a common mistake a lot of runners do? A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. you know, you think about, you know, running is a very approachable sport, right? It doesn't take a big ego. It doesn't take a lot of equipment costs. But uh, just because it's approachable and rather affordable and you can do it outside your door, it uh, doesn't mean that you have to, you know, just uh, throw, throw a bit, you know, throw a just go, go crazy. So, uh, yeah, you want to make sure you're preparing for the task at hand. It's the biggest thing I always tell folks. If, you have, you know, if you're in school and you have a test coming up, the first thing you say is, hey, what's on the test, right? So same thing for running. You want to run? Great. I want to help you run too. What's on the test, right? We'll, we'll probably talk about that today. You know, what are runners going to bring to the table and how can you do well with that? Yep. And, and so uh, with um, uh, preparing for, for running and, and making sure that, um, you are prepared. Uh, I've heard you talk about the whole concept of quality versus quantity uh, when it when it comes to to training. What what do you mean by that concept? Yeah. So the, one of the first things I mean, it, it, I, you know, across the world, you ask somebody, "Hey, how was your run? You know, what was what was your time? Right? That's what we ask. How was your run? What was your time? Uh, after a race, what did your friends say? What was your time? Right? Nobody says, "Hey, did your posture fall apart at between four and five k? Did you start to overstride at six k when we came up around that hill? You know, how'd you notice your foot contact change as you got tired? Right? I mean, we don't ask those questions. And the reality is, like, you know, as therapists, if you come in and say, "I have pain in this location," I really don't care, and it doesn't give me any directional information to help you. Right? So, um, you know, part of what we, I think what makes for a successful relationship is to talk about, hey, like, these are the things that's been causing your injury. When you go train, when you're running your X, you know, K per week, I want you to think about the quality of what you're putting in, right? So when you notice your knee starts to hurt and you let yourself overstride, we've practiced on some postural cues. We've practiced on some foot landing cues. We've practiced different things to give you tools in your toolbox to bring those joints close to the midline to decrease leverage and so then to really help people improve. So it's not just about, you know, how long you went or how far you went. It's about what did, you know, what did your mechanics look like during your run? Um, you know, I always tell folks, you can come in as a, a specimen, right? I mean, you can be super supple and super strong and amazing, but if you practice an, an improper form for your body as you run, you're going to increase the loads around certain joints and certain soft tissues. And so that's how people get hurt. And, you know, clearly running form is linked to injury, right? So if you can, you know, look at rehabbing from a running injury, not as just three exercises, right? But exercises that are changing a movement habit, right? Building skill. And when you build skill, then you learn to retain things, right? That, that's the whole goal. My goal isn't to have you do a good job at hip hikes. My goal is to you know, improve the way you control lateral plane hip motion, right? So it's building on those ideas and concepts to make sure that runners understand this isn't busy work. It's not extra stuff to do when you're, you know, when you're fatigued. It, this is literally part of trying to improve your durability and your performance. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And when, when I've heard you talk about uh, precision training versus strength training, um, you yeah. Uh, what's the difference there um, when you talk about those two concepts? Yeah, so this is, this is a great question, Dane. So, yeah, I, I use the words precision and performance, right? So you can call these and group these however you want to. Uh, and different coaches and physios have different names, and I, I don't want to get caught up in semantics, but 
you know, you think about all this other stuff, right? If I'm going to ask you as an athlete to take time out of your day, right? So, you know, is it worth your time to do weight work, stability work, whatever? So let's break this down into two components. If you looked at, you know, what makes for a, a, a more efficient runner, right? You have to increase something called your rate of force development. And that comes from doing explosive heavy lifting work to train how quickly you put force down the ground. And um, I always tell folks is that the paper literally called athletes who run better, put more force down the ground per stride, right? <laughs> it's, it's, that's literally the title of the paper. Okay. So, you know, you want to train your neuromuscular system to do a great job at that and doing conventional lifts, like deadlifts and squats and all the variations thereof and Olympic lifts, those are all great ways to improve rate of force development. Plyometrics are great ways to improve force development. But again, what you're doing is you're putting a big jet engine on the paper airplane, right? And that doesn't work. And so the precision work is the, you know, the less sexy, less glamorous stuff, but that's making sure that you can steer your parts under load and under fatigue, right? And so, you know, those of you who see yourself across the finish line, right, in the picture of your leg diving in the inside, you say, oh, I've, I've seen that, right? So, you know, that's not because you can't squat a lot or because you can't run a certain distance. That's because as you run, your form tends to fall apart. And so I need to make sure, you know, as somebody working with you as an athlete, that you know how to feel when those deviations occur and you know how to correct that imbalance and that we've trained that pattern properly. So again, we're not giving you an exercise, but giving you a skill. So precision training work isn't stuff that has to be done every single day for an hour a day, right? It's stuff we hit in small doses throughout the week. You know, you may be the kind of person who says, okay, well, instead of, you know, stretching for before I run, which hopefully people are not doing that anymore, <laughs> um, you know, I'll do a five to eight minute dynamic warm up that, that includes some things that wake up your nervous system, right? Or you may say, hey, I'm going to do 15 minutes, two or three days a week before a run. Great. I mean, you, you can kind of tease this in as you have time for. It doesn't take that much time. But as far as the, you know, the mental benefits and the, the proprioceptive benefits, which is how we feel, how we move, I mean, it is absolutely invaluable. And um, yeah, and, and, and maybe be clear, necessary mandatory in runners, because while I want people to get faster and hit PRs, um, people also want to train day to day, right? And so if you show up with a wobbly, unstable body, you're not trained every day. Yeah. So precision work helps counter that. Nice. And when, when you're looking at um, someone's biomechanics, uh, uh, what, what are some of the... Um, main biomechanics that you sort of look for in a an efficient runner um and like what are some of the mechanics that you're and when do you feel like you should change change some some of the biomechanics in in a runner like yeah yeah it's a great question because a lot of people say if it's not broke don't fix it yeah um so i get that but let me talk about the flip side of that if you look at any truly at any truly elite of the elite athlete in any sport, they don't just go status quo, right? Yeah. They're always trying to find out, hey, can I optimize the way I move? So if you're somebody who wants to say, hey, I'm not broken, don't touch me, I'm going to say, hey, look, you likely could be doing better, okay? Um, I've worked, I've had the privilege in my career working with, uh, I think I actually counted 52 Olympians in various sports. Yeah. Uh, and, and when you look at the mental capacity that those athletes bring to the table, they don't say, hey, I just want to get by, right? They say, hey, I want to be the best I can be. And they're always looking to get better. And so I just want to, before you answer your specifics to your question, I want to make clear that, you know, I'm in the job of researching running biomechanics. And so I'm not looking to give 
hey, this was this study showed that 10 people had this average result. I don't really care, okay? Um, I care how this result impacts you as an individual, right? Because you are different than your friend, your training partner, and your mom, and your dad, and your brother, or whatever. So, um, you know, I do believe that we can optimize in our running mechanics for each individual. Uh, I do this every day. I have a gate lab. So again, when somebody comes in, they say, hey, I want to get better. I can say, great. If you're going to come in, you know, with this baseline of whatever you know measure we're looking at, we want to push the needle into into better direction, right? So, can we actually measure that? Uh, and that that's what I do. That's the way I approach things. It's more objectively than subjective. So, yeah. Um, to to get to your sorry for the no 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 question, but yeah, but uh, yeah. So to get to that, I mean, I think there are a few key things we'll look at, right? So, um, postural alignment is absolutely huge okay everybody likes to talk about heel foot forefoot rear foot we can talk about that later but i really don't care um and i can't give you a single research article that shows you should care and i can't give you a single case study of an athlete i've looked at that shows you should care but i do care where your foot contact is in relation to your body mass okay, okay. um and so you can talk about overstriding as a negative and certainly that's the same we can talk about right so overstriding is contacting too far in front of your body um and but the other thing is just by changing your posture too far back you can also have a quote overstride right you, you're you're because even when you're going where you should be if you lean back your body is too far backwards to your foot so you're overstriding even though you're not contacting quote too far in front of you likewise this sounds kind of conversely true but it's reality if you lean too far forward this happens in a lot of athletes when they get tired especially the ultra runners listening to this and the marathoners right when you start to get tired what happens is your glutes get fatigued and therefore your glutes not only extend your hip they also have a big role in posture function when they get tired your torso tends to collapse forward we end up leaning and when you lean forward one of the things you want to not do is fall on your face right yeah so, um it forces you to contact further in front of your body. So leaning too far back or too far forward, uh, both those ten uh, tendencies can increase the, well, actually, they can, they can negate running economy. Okay, so um, the, the research on running economy is not very good. When you look at, I'm sorry, research on upper body characteristics of running uh, is pretty bad. Uh, I did a little pilot study for a talk I was giving a few years ago. And I said, hey, let me just have people come in and run regular, right? And I just said, hey, give me a favor arch back a little bit and they ran and I kept some data and said, okay, do me a favor, lean forward a little bit, right? And we measured some data. We, we saw runners, you know, uh, decreasing the running economy when they ran in backseat, meaning an overly arched spine or a forward leaning trunk position. And we saw more compressive stresses and, and loading rate issues and a bunch of other things by doing that too. So you can change the mechanical characteristics and the running economy just by changing your posture alignment. So that's one huge thing to look at. And runners think, oh, I just run my legs. Well, yeah, you do, but you have a brain and upper body and arms and uh, and you have to control. So um, running, running uh, upper body characteristics are huge. Um, another thing to look at is, I'm going to say, rotational alignment of your leg. And notice I didn't just say the foot or just the hip or just the spine, right? I mean, we have this twisting force of line that goes up and through our entire body as we run. Uh, biomechanic nerds like myself call this the free moment. Um, yeah. But basically, you think about this spiral line, right? This rotational torque. And so um, you as a runner have to be able to control this rotational torque. Um, if you don't, you wind up with sloppy mechanics, right? So this goes back to the precision aspect, right? So people say, oh, I run straight ahead. Yes, you're moving straight ahead, but 
the reality is the biomechanics of running gait and even walking gait too, right, are causing a lot of rotational plane stresses through our foot, through our knee, through our hip, through my spine, through my torso, right, everything. So you have to be able to control those loads. Um, and then, and then the, the other thing I look at is, you know, when we dig into that aspect of, okay, when that's look at like high deliver power on the ground, you know, can you really drive thorough solidly through your legs without seeing compensations occur within your spine, right? And so a lot of people think extend your hips behind you means arch your back. And that's not the same thing, right? So, you know, you have, you have two hips. You don't have a hips, you know, hips in your hips and hips in your back, right? So yep. uh, we have to make sure that runners can learn the skill of, you know, being able to drive from the hips without compensating their spine position. Um, and then from there, then I, t- then I start to look at, you know, again, this is things that you can look at visually, but you really need some high-end equipment to look at, you know, are you landing in the right location um, as far as in front of your body for running speed? Because uh, obviously if you run slower, right, you're going to have a certain swing of your leg front to back. And we run faster, that that pendulum swing of our leg has to increase, right? Because your straddling has to increase. Um, and then we look at how stiff is that runner? How what's the timing of the contact? What's the, I mean, a bunch of things we look at from a finer lens and a gate lab. So I mean, I would say you can look at things big picture, right? And then my job is to still things down to deeper elements to find out, you know, how can we actually quantify some imbalances we see, and can we actually improve that, you know, the, the cost index, right? So how much mechanical work you're putting down to the ground to run per speed, per body weight. That's something that I measure every day, right? So um, these are all the things we look at to say, look, are you really doing your best? And if we're going to change something, it better increase, right, that running economy. It better decrease the sagittal moment over the knee, which means how the the, the compressive and, and, uh, and torque force around the knee joint. It better increase the spine angle, right? So it has to result in some change that we're seeing that's been driving the, the problem you've been having. So Jay, like in the um, biomechanics lab, is that what you're often doing? So you'd have a runner on the treadmill and then in real time you might change um, or try to encourage a cue or change some kind of variable and then you're monitoring their economy um, or their cost of running um, to see if it has any effect? Yeah, so um, first thing I do, when somebody comes in, first thing I do is do a very solid musculoskeletal exam, right? Because um, before we talk about running form, like running form is like the thing you're doing. I really don't care about that yet. I care about you, right? So, you know, if you're showing up with, you know, an an ankle restriction that won't let you dorsiflex, okay, and and I tell you, hey, Dean, when you go run, I want you to try and do this. And you're like, well, I can't do that. I'm like, well, no, you're not listening. And you're like, no, I, I literally can't move that way. Like I have to know that, right? So um, and so I, I look at you know are there are there imbalances in, in joint alignment, imbalance not joint alignment, but joint uh, mobility, imbalances in soft tissue mobility, imbalances in just proprioceptive awareness, right? Imbalances in uh, you know local precision control, how we steer our joints, uh, imbalances in how we recruit certain um, aspects of of, uh, of hip and knee and ankle drive. So I want to know what those are, so that when I see you run, I can say, okay, wait a second. This is exactly what I was hypothesizing in my head would play out, right? Yeah. So, uh, because one of the biggest problems I see is we tend to give runners these random cues, and people don't know how to do that, right? One of my favorite ones is people say, "Oh, drive from your hips," and somebody's like, "I can't extend my hip without arching my back." I mean, how many times do you see this? Like thousands, right? Yeah. Like it's it's not it's not a surprise, but you know the, the reality is the media wants to make these things really simple and what are two cues to give to every runners, and so again, running cues are great 
hugely powerful, right? But if you can't do this, if you can't perform the skill on a table or on the floor, right, then how do you expect to execute that skill when your heart rate's 180 beats per minute? So um, you got to make sure you lay the foundation of the skill first. And then, yes, I'll, I'll do some things with cues, right? So let me give you a quick little example here. So let's say I found somebody with restricted hip capsule motion, which means that the hip joint itself doesn't internally rotate and doesn't extend properly, right? So that's runner A. And runner B has wonderful supple hips that move beautifully, right? So yeah. if you have both those runners in the treadmill and you say go for a run, if we found that both those runners were overstriding, what that means is instead of their leg going somewhat forward and somewhat back, that leg swing is more in front of the body and it's going to force them into a very knee-dominant or quad-dominant running pattern, right? So that's the reality. And you could tell runner A, hey, try and drive for your hips, and they can't because their hip literally won't open properly, right? And you can tell runner B, oh, do this, and they go, oh, okay, I get it, right? Like, so that's what gets into the can you jump to the skill aspect or not, right? You may have to fix the, the joint imbalance first. You know, then you work on the little control. Then you, once you have some awareness, then you work on integrating that into the gait cycle, right? But um, that may take a few sessions, right? Versus runner B who's like, oh, I move great. Oh, you want me to do that? Sure. Nobody told me to try that before. This feels great, right? Like, so you have to look at where is the athlete, what do they, what do they need that particular time in their, uh, in their, in their, in their training. Yep. Yeah, no, that's great. Like individualize it. Um, with biomechanics, um, uh, I often get runners in and, um, they're often, uh, sort of fixated on certain elements, um, of biomechanics. Um, do you think sometimes we can overcomplicate it and then sometimes biomechanics has, has a really big purpose in some runners, but then in others it, you sort of like where, where, where we're looking for something that. I know. I've just had a few runners where they come in and that's all they're thinking about, whereas sometimes they just need to run and um, get stronger. Yeah, I think, I mean, you, you answer, you sort of have two questions in there. Yeah. So I think that um, the first question is, is biomechanics worth looking at? I would say the answer to that objectively is always. Yep. Okay, now, we know we have type A athletes and type B athletes, right? So type A athletes are, hey, tell me exactly what to do exactly at this time point and these cute, and type B people are like, hey, give me the 10,000 foot view, right? This, and so I think part of, the, part of the fun about our jobs is not about what we do from the nuts and bolts aspect, it's how do I relate to you versus yeah. you know, your spouse versus whatever. So that's the fun part, right? So how do you get into the mindset? So I think that, um, I think that yes, people need to do, tr you know, to train, need to practice, right? This is what training is and practicing, but uh, they have to do so in a way that again, retains quality. And if we lose quality, all you're doing is reinforcing bad habits and that's the surefire way to lose. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, 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 nice. Yeah, no, I, I liked how you said, um, uh, you sort of mentioned in another podcast that you're sort of leaving um, seconds or minutes on the table. Um, like a lot of runners uh, might be just focusing on, um, you know, building their heart and lungs and like putting in all these really hard training sessions, but they're not really thinking about the skill element of running and how they move. And, um, you know, they could be moving a whole heap more efficiently if they worked on it. Um, yeah. So like I've got a runner myself who I coach, um, who, who, who we've been working on trying to get him uh, he definitely overstrides and, um, trying to get him more efficient and stiffer. 
as well and because he's a really compliant runner and bouncy runner and um yeah we've actually been working a little bit on 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 cadence for him because i think it's appropriate um but with um the concept of cadence um how, how what's your views on that and how, how relevant is cadence yeah, so it's, I would say there's, a, there's an optimal window for everybody, right? So um, what you're, you know, we, we look at cadence, right? What, and I hate to be overly techie, but what I really care is, again, how quickly you can apply power down the ground, right? And so um, this goes back to contact time. And so you want to have your running be as elastic as possible. Okay. Why? Because elasticity is free, right? People always say, I don't want to contact in front of me because I don't want to break. Well, actually, that's completely incorrect. You want to contact in front of your body, not a ton, but enough. Why? Because you're kind of what I call pulling back on the slingshot, right? If you want to fire a rock from a slingshot, first thing you have to do is cock it back. And if you contact under your body weight, which I know still is preached all the time, all over the place, contact under you, right? If you contact underneath you, you don't have time for the storage and release of elasticity to take place. And that's called sprinting, right? And that's the reason why you're exhausted after running 60 meters, but you can run for 60 minutes and feel fine, right? So um, when you sprint, it's 100% muscular, okay? When you distance run, right? Then it the mechanics of running, sprinting and running, distance running are very, very different, right? So the idea here is to capitalize on elasticity. So to get to your question, people are like, why did you say all that other stuff? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you why. Because when you've got somebody, let's say that, um, and you're going to have to familiar, uh, forgive me here, Dane, for a second because I have my calculator in front of me, but let's say you're at 100 and, uh, 164 steps per minute at a um, – Give me what, like a, I would say a 10-minute mile pace, um, which is uh, blanking thread for a second. So let's say it's, uh, let's say you're at like 2.4 meter per second. Okay, um, that's fine, right? You're not at 180, but you know what? You're going pretty slow. Who cares, right? You're you're not going to have a super fast contact time. If you're you know still hitting 164 when you're at a four meter per second that's a bigger issue, right? That means your time on ground is too long and you're going to be forced to run with a very muscularly dominant stride. Um, so you have to look at the speed you're at, the time on ground, uh, the limb stiffness aspects you mentioned before about the runner, the, even the contractile proteins, the Titan uh, matrix in the, um, in the active myosin complex, right? So it's a bunch of genetic things that modify this as well. And, you know, when you look at the reality for those of you who are like, I don't know what that guy just said. Okay. Running world records, Olympic medals, have been won between 172 and 212 steps per minute, right? It's a big window. So if you're somebody who says you have to hit this certain cadence, there's absolutely no proof of that. I would say a lot of runners, especially newer runners, and especially cyclists who get into running later, i.e. a lot of triathletes, tend to have a lower cadence rate. Uh, and that can definitely cause some problems with relation to running economy. And also the big thing is knee pain. Right. So, I mean, the number one side of pain of runners is knees. And so if you have a lower cadence, almost universally, OK, because not all, 100 percent of the time, but say 95 percent of the time, these people are in contact in an overstride. And when you have an overstride, it's not the fact that you land your heel that's irrelevant. Right. But an overstride tends to put more twisting load uh, required from the knee, which means that you have more stress around your quad, more compression around your patella, more shear in that joint surface, right? So if you, the, a lot of the studies out there on cadence, you know, what you did was you told somebody to increase their turnover, great, 
what happened was that person didn't have time to stride very far in front of their body. So you sort of reduce their overstride by telling them to quicken their turnover, right? And so what that does is that minimizes the compressive machine loads in the patellofemoral joint. And a lot of people go, oh, my knee feels better. Great. I'm all for that, right? So I'm not saying cadence is irrelevant, but to tell somebody, unless you run 180, you're doomed, don't say that, right? And so, um, you know, there are certain athletes, for sure, I work with cadence, right? There are some athletes, I'm like, you know what, there's bigger fish to focus on right now. And some people, I don't focus with it at all, right? So, um, and, and you have to look at, you know, if you're, if you're a clinician or athlete focusing on cadence, make sure you talk about this with your clinician or your coach or whoever at multiple speeds, okay? I can't emphasize how important this is because a lot of athletes will, you know, they, they may look okay at, you know, at running easy and that like maybe tempo pace they even look okay too and you get them to run close to vo2 max pace and then they're struggling to hit that pace that you gave them and their form completely falls apart right so um you know make sure you look at cadence as something which is very speed significant um yeah. i can't emphasize this enough yeah well, that's that's an awesome point and with um rate of force production uh like how, how are you looking at trying to improve this ability in runners um like what are some uh exercises or or tips or how how do you go about trying to improve this with runners like in terms of trying to um runners trying to get faster and put more force through the ground yeah how, how are you trying to improve this skill yeah, so basically, I mean, it's a combination of very, very, very heavy lifting at certain times of the season uh, and very explosive lifting, so not heavy weights, but lifting weight quickly at certain times of the season and plyometrics, right? So um, let me be clear, just because you can squat 400 pounds, 200 kilos does not mean you're a better athlete, okay? So, uh, you know, the idea behind you have to be, quote, hit a certain strength level, that's not been shown to be true. Um I think runners do need to work on a certain basis of strength. And I, as somebody trying to train proper lifting technique, would never in a, in, in a world have an athlete try and go super power work uh, soon, right? And so um, I know people say, oh, plyometrics are easy, just take body weight. Most folks, when they do, especially novice runners, when they put plyometrics in the mix, they wind up double bouncing a lot. And so double bouncing means you're working things from a muscular perspective, not an elasticity perspective. So again, you're not learning proper habits there either, right? So um, to all your runners out there, I'm going to ask you a favor. Most of you likely haven't put time into a solid strength program in the past and view that as a laying the foundation time, right? You're putting time into learning the skill of a proper hip hinge learning how to load your hip differently than your knee, learning how to move through your ankle properly, right? So you want to work on building a solid base of strength so that when you say, okay, now it's time to start putting in a box jump, right? You're getting off the ground quick and not just double bouncing and doing stupid junkies on Instagram, right? Like that's not <laughs> the goal of the exercise. So um, it, it's a, you know, I, I'm giving you a little long-winded approach because my approach is a little bit more long-winded. I tell folks, look, you're here. You want to get to the next level. Great. There's like, a hundred steps in that phase to get there, right? And, you know, life isn't as simple as an Instagram post. And so uh, we are going to together talk about how to build a solid foundation of strength. When you've shown me that you know how to move your body well under load, which means you're not compensating your spine position, you know how to get into your hips properly, right? But you've shown me all those things, great. Now let's have a talk about how to train that same movement we just did, but faster, 
right? And then when you show me that, now let's talk about how to build up and apply metrics when it's the right time of the season, right? So that's how we work with those things in the mix. And we're always doing some aspect of strength and power development throughout the year with my athletes. But you got it. For those of you who are newer folks, this um, make sure you really wrap your head around building a solid foundation because the worst thing in the world I see is that people are doing this great exercise they saw from some coach or some athlete, whatever, and their form's horrible, right? Like. All you're doing is going to hurt yourself, and you're going to say, oh, this stuff is bunk because I got hurt doing what my PT or my strength coach said. And I'm going to say, no, you did what they said with horrible technique, and that's why you got hurt. So, um, again, you got to have that baseline skill to bring to the table. And if you do, we see people do wonderful, right? They do great. And, and, and I just want to mention this, too. This isn't something where it's like, oh, I mastered this. I'm moving on. Like, I mean, again, I've had the chance to work with lots of elites, and we're always working on pushing the needle. It never stops, right? So um, even they're like, oh, I can refine this the way we move. I worked with one of our ski team athletes this morning and was talking about proper shoulder blade position. He's like, wow, I haven't thought about this before, right? So we're always refining these things as we go through our, 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 our work, so. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, and with, um, we, we've, uh, like staying on the sort of, um, topic of sort of biomechanics um how much do you um uh, focus on you know initial contact and um whether it's um yeah forefoot or how much do you focus on pronation and supination in runners so yeah, so there's two questions there how much do i focus on like where the i mean how the foot contact style rear foot mid foot forefoot uh, goose egg yep <laughs> absolutely zero um so two reasons for this. Uh, one, uh, you can look at the research if you'd like to, but runners do a horrendous job about self-reporting their, their foot contact styles. A lot of people think they're forefoot and they're midfoot. People think they're rear foot and they're midfoot. People think they're forefoot and they're rear foot. They, runners don't do a good job self-identifying this. And a lot of folks who have read Born to Run and try to run a forefoot style, after about a mile or two, they fatigue and they start to shift their contact style to a rear foot. Um, and this has been shown in, in a few research studies where people who, you know, you fatigue you tend to change the way you move no surprise you're trying to find the most efficient way to move right so um it's fine don't don't get stressed about it right it's the reality so um i care where your foot is in relation to your body not how your foot lands okay um some runners will maintain a, a forefoot contact style their entire run right they're a whole marathon it's fine some people don't fine doesn't make a difference, okay? Um, you know, if you're a forefoot runner, it means you're working a whole lot more from your calf than the average person. Now, there's some advantages to that, and also some disadvantages to that, right? So, you know, you break it, break, and you say, well, what are those? So, all injuries either come into I can't dampen impact loads or I can't steer and stabilize my parts. So, if you're somebody who's got a compressor-related stress fracture, right? So, a stress fracture caused by too much, uh, you know too much collision, um, then yeah, having a lower loading rate and adopting a four foot strike actually tends to instantly, like literally instantly decrease those loading rates. And in certain injuries that has benefit, right? But if you're somebody who has what's called a tensile stress fracture, where the stress fracture is not caused from jarring compression, it's caused by inability to steer and stabilize the body, then that's irrelevant, right? So um, again, that's why gait lab is nice. You can say, hey, I had a stress fracture. Well, is it due to compressor problems or stability problems? I can tell you really easily, right? If you come in and 
I mean, and these results are meaningless to most listeners, right? But if you come in, your loading rate is 2,200 newtons per second, you don't have a loading rate problem, right? You're like the, you know, the one percenter of super low folks, right? Versus you come in and, you know, you weigh, uh, you know, uh, whatever, 52 kilos, and you come in with a loading rate of 9,000 newtons per second, we have to talk about decreasing that impact load, right? So that's, that's why it allows you to actually visualize and say, what's the problem? Where are we at? And how do we approach, uh, you know, fixing it? Yeah, fantastic. Nice. Um, and is that where, like, the, because I've heard you say the comment of um, you, um, sometimes you're training the movement rather than the muscle. Um, and uh, when you're training the movement, is that more a concept of you're training control and training sort of the skill aspect of a certain movement that you're trying to improve? And then when you're training the muscle, you're just training capacity and strength in that muscle? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I think instead of worrying about like what's the best exercise for my hamstring, right? What's the best exercise for my glute med? I mean, again, based upon your musculoskeletal assessment and your running mechanic assessment, right? Do you have a lateral plane hip problem, right? Like if the answer is yes, then yeah, let's strengthen that. I don't care if you think about glute med or minimus or mac. I don't care, right? Like I just have to make sure we're not seeing frontal plane, which is side to side deviations the way your hip moves. Or do you have a rotational plane hip imbalance, right? Which is very different, right? So I don't care if I get caught up in semantics on what muscles. I just want to train the motion of rotation, right? So I think athletes can, I mean, again, we're, we're, we're athletes, right? We feel things. And you notice, oh, I can tell this is happening. So I want to make sure you can understand the difference between lateral hip motion and rotational hip motion. And so, um, you know, I, I talk about getting those movement styles in so that if you can stand and you can twist your hip in and out properly, right, then we build it up into, okay, well, can I have you stand on a leg and twist your pelvic in and out? Because that's what happens when you run, right? So I'm just trying to get into the idea behind, you know, having that talk on with our, our athletes and, and our patients to say, look, I care how you move, and I want you to feel how you move. And if you can't demonstrate this right back to me, then this conversation isn't going anywhere, right? So um, I think instead of taking it out as far as like, oh, let's train your hamstrings today. No, let's train the ability for you to drive your leg back behind your body without cheating your spine, right? So your comment about pronation. Let's train you to control the, the 3D, right? Because pronation is not one motion. Let's train the, the triplanar motion around your foot and ankle and teach you how to steer that, right? Oh, okay, I can see that, right? Versus like, let's work your adductor halysis and your adductor digiti minimi. Like people are like, what the hell did you just say? <laughs> so yeah, it just, you have to make things make sense for folks. Yeah, 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 nice. Um, and I just wanted to move on to um, just recently, um, You've started producing the Mobo board, and uh, uh, I wanted to know, like, what your thoughts are on barefoot running, and uh, uh, and uh, yeah, people taking their shoes off here and there, um, barefoot training, um, and uh, how important the foot is um, with running, and uh, whether whether it um, is underappreciated here and there um, in some runners. Yeah. So. I, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and you know, I think that we as therapists and coaches and everybody has made great strides on talking about athletes about core stability, right? And then we've done a great job with that. And I think most runners get the idea, oh, I should train my core to control my spine. Great. And I've made, and a lot of people made a long time, oh, we should try and get you into your hip muscles better, right? Because most folks don't do a good job with that, right? And so, great. All right, well, what are you doing for your feet? Well, I bought the brand new Asics or Saucony or Brooks or whatever, Adidas. They just buy shoes, right? So, you know, 
shoes don't run by themselves, right? You have to put a person into shoes. And so um, the foot that you put into your shoe is huge, okay? And so two things here. You know, feet don't supernate supernate by themselves. They move in relation to external forces that your body receives as we're running, right? And then you have to counter that, right, actively by you controlling your body parts. And so um, I, I try and make sure I'm training my athletes to, to do that, right, so they control their own foot mechanics. And then also when the foot moves, guess what else moves? The shin. And guess what else moves? The hip and the pelvis, right? So everything's connected. So we go back to looking at how the foot behaves. Again, I talked before about that rotational plane, that free moment aspect, right? So your foot works with your hip and with your pelvis, and with your spine to control those rotational forces. And if you just say, oh, the foot's fine, just stick it in a shoe, I can tell you it doesn't work, right? So again, I've got data to show. We see big changes in, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into heavy biomechanics here, right? But lots of different changes in the way uh, the joint moments, which is basically the mechanical loads of the soft tissue around the joint, have to pull and to, to create motion, right? So um, you can really improve someone's contact points to the ground, which can improves the way they steer their parts, but also improves that word I said before, proprioception, right? My position sense. Because guess what? Your entire body is dependent on what? Your foot to kind of set the stage for what happens up the chain. And so... For a long time, so I'm going to throw a whole profession under the bus. What have we done? We said, okay, do towel curls and bubble pickups. That's the state of technology for feet, right? Yeah. So that doesn't work. <laughs> and the reason, it's what I was taught in school too, right? Yeah. It's okay. And it's like, that's what we're all taught. And so the reality is you're training someone to use what we call the extrinsic muscles. So the muscles not in the foot, but the muscles up in the shin to pull the ball, the foot up off the ground repeatedly. Okay, show me a sport where your ability to succeed is dependent upon your ability to get your big toe up off the ground and wobble on the outside of your foot. It doesn't exist, right? We want a nice, solid platform for foot contact. So um, the whole MOBO was built around, I mean, it wasn't just launching a product. I said, look, we've got to find a way to cue people to go over towards their first ray because when your first ray is solid, then you trickle the muscles inside your arch. And when your arch is solid, guess what happens? then you control the way your foot moves. When your foot moves better, everything upstream works better. So you know, I was trying to solve a problem. And so I've, I've done things over my career manually with people one-on-one to train that mechan- that pattern. It does great, but there's one of me and there's millions of runners. So um, the idea behind Mobo is to produce something that would truly kind of cue, you could also use the word force, um, <laughs> if you wanted to, athletes to get over to their first ray. And like, I mean, it's the universal thing I've gotten everybody gets on it's like wow i feel my footwork it's like yeah that's the point right this is the stuff you've never done before that makes a big difference and so you know again we don't train things in isolation we train them together so you know we, mobo allows you to do a bunch of stuff yes to train your foot but guess what you can't train the rotational loads around your foot without training rotational loads around your hip right so it kind of cues you to work on that spiral aspect of the way we move and so um that's why i think it's been a nice wake-up call for a lot of athletes to go wow i'm feeling things i haven't felt before um you know it cues you to get into your feet the axis of the board's designed around the axis of subtalar motion so it's the way exactly we pronate and supinate and I'm trying to get athletes to learn to feel identify with that motion um and, and i love the way people are perceiving it in fact i got a text by a day said Man, after I play with these exercises on MOBA, I feel like a linebacker could hit me. I'm so solid and stable. It's like, that's <laughs> the whole idea. You know, you're, it's not making you stronger, but it's making you feel you have a better connection point to the ground. And that's what this is all about. So, you know, if you're not training your feet, you're in trouble, 
right? I mean, yeah, I can't tell you if you're going to have foot pain at, you know, 30K a week or 120K a week, right? I don't know. But again, it's going towards, again, building that precision control. You have to look at every step of the equation, right? Just like we talk about shoulder position, upper body, guess what? We also talk about what happens down below. Yeah, no, I really, really like like that. Um, yeah, the body is like a whole kinetic chain and um, every link's important. And and it's, yeah, everyone wears runners. So it's it's a common, common um uh, uh, idea that a lot of us, a lot of runners, um, can tap into and and see, like, yeah, try try to um see what their foot foot um controls like and um like I know I know for a fact like um yeah so many people's um feet once they take their shoes off um yeah when you look at it, look yeah they don't they don't look strong like they don't look um like you can. Yeah, and then we're so focused on all the other muscles. Um, yeah, like we do our squats, we do um, yeah all the bigger muscles that you can see. Um, it's just um, yeah, I suppose um, just making people more aware that there there are muscles that we might be um, just uh, forgetting about. Yeah, we covered so much uh, great stuff today. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so appreciative of like all the questions you've answered from me i've had a lot and um but i know there will be a lot of runners that are interested in finding out more and uh uh look looking more more into um your your books that you've written and, and then also the wobo board how, how can they find out more um or purchase say running rewired or anatomy for runners or or reach out to you yeah uh so you can a few places uh i Running Wired, I know it's sold in Australia, so that's out there. Uh, Anatomy for Runners, I believe, is sold in Australia. I'm not quite positive on that, but I think it is. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, you can find that out. Um, you can look at an athlete's nathletesbody.com uh, is a blog I've got. Um, I've not done a great job of updating that, but I will do a better job soon. Uh, and then if you look at moboboard.com, it's M-O-B-O-Board.com. Um, you can find stuff on MoboBoard, but I'm also kind of shifting all the content I've had on an athlete's body over to Mobo. Um, so, uh, and then please follow our Instagram page, which is just uh, mobo.board. Um, and uh, I'm putting a bunch of content in that. Obviously, a lot of foot and ankle stuff, but everything up the chain. I want to have a, a, a spot for people to go to and find out this information. So um, I definitely say look at that. Um, and if you're an ath- if you're a clinician, um, I always just beg every clinician. There was a paper I wrote in 2009 in clinics and sports medicine called um, "From the Lab to the Clinic," um, and uh, it is not light reading <laughs> at all. Um, but again, we're inundated with so much talk about, oh, well, the gram action force, this and that, and most clinicians don't understand that and that you don't need to because you don't have a lab. But um, if you want to really understand the research and get a, a handling on what things actually mean and why they're important, um, that whole paper uh, is designed to talk about what we've talked about in lay terms and how does that correlate back to gate data. And so that when you read an article or you know, you're talking to an athlete or a coach, you you can really wrap your head and come in as a knowledgeable source understand these things. So um, again, this article is not light reading, but it's on PubMed and Google Scholar and everything else. So it's called um, From the Lab to the Clinic, um, and it's written by me in Clinics and Sports Medicine. So it's worth taking a look at. Yeah, I think I actually um, saw that last night when I was trying to do a bit of a, a, a read up for this um, podcast. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, that's yeah. great. And, and, yeah, just, and, and I think too, it's like going back to what you said before, Dan, it's like, you know, 
to all you clinicians and all the athletes out there too, you know, I mentioned before, don't be afraid to try something new, right? I mean, again, we, we talked about, you know, should you change gait or not? Like, you know what? You should probably change something because, again, we're plastic creatures, right? Our brain needs stress to, to re- learn to respond to new lessons and new lifestyles. And so, you know, running's not just moving forward over and over again and with volume. It's learning how to become more fluid, more elastic, and more controlled. And, you know, I think that hopefully today, if you weren't doing anything, I hope this just opens your mind to the fact that, hey, this stuff is definitely worth my time. Um, you know, I'm constantly tweaking and dialing things differently with my athletes I work in. And, you know, you as a listener are no different, right? So um, I want to make sure that we're providing some informational resources to help you improve. That's the whole goal. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so much good information and um, you're a wealth of knowledge, Jay. So thanks so much for your time and, um, yeah, so appreciative of it. No, it's been great, Dan. Great, great questions and, yeah, great chat. Great chat. Awesome.